This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, May 16th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. When your rights are violated, you should be able to tell a court that your rights have been violated, that you want the violation recognized, and that you want your rights restored. When the FBI hands you a national security letter requesting specific information from you without a warrant, you aren't allowed to tell anyone or you risk jail. Julian Sanchez is author of the new Cato report, Leashing the Surveillance State, How to Reform Patriot Act Surveillance Authorities. In 2007, Senator Barack Obama seems to have regarded national security letters as an abomination. These uh, incredibly powerful demands for sensitive telecommunications and financial records are issued by the heads of FBI field offices without a need for judicial approval. And the people whose records are seized typically never find out about it. Then he said in no uncertain terms that there should be no more national security letters used to spy on Americans who are not even suspected of any wrongdoing. Unfortunately, the administration of President Obama has overseen spectacular growth in the, in the use of national security letters. And in, ten th- in 2010, they were used to obtain the records of uh, an unprecedented number of Americans, most of whom were not suspected of any wrongdoing. So between 2009 and 2010, according to the most recent report from the Justice Department, uh, the number of national security letter requests issued uh, that affected Americans rose from uh, just under 15,000 to more than 24,000. And the most spectacular jump here is in the number of U.S. persons who were affected. It rose from 6,114 to a stunning 14,212. The Previous record for Americans whose records were seized in one year was set by President Bush in 2005. That was a mere 9,475 people whose records were affected. And these are records that can reveal the details of your financial transactions from an almost unlimited array of uh, businesses. They're defined as financial institutions, but we've changed the definition of that term to encompass almost any business. Uh, But also telecommunications records revealing who you've called, who you email, what web websites you visit on a daily basis. Uh, The reason these are ballooning so much is because uh, the FBI seems to be sweeping in uh, an increasingly broad number of people. If you look at this isn't the highest number of national security letter requests ever, but it is the largest number of people. And what that suggests is that it's not any longer mostly people who are at the center of an investigation, individuals who are having five or six or seven different sources uh, served with national security letters on them, but people who are swept in as part of what the FBI calls communities of interest. This is a kind of six degrees of separation or six degrees of Kevin Bacon, if you've ever played that little party game, where they might start with an initial target, uh, might be someone they've got a tip on, maybe just someone whose banking activity looks a little suspicious. But then they track every person that person is in communication with, and they see who those people are calling and emailing. And then they see who those people are calling and emailing in an attempt to build a comprehensive social map as a, as a, a you know, a, a kind of attempt to, to figure out what networks look like of innocent people and of, uh, of people who may be involved in terrorism. Uh, those, if you are a law enforcement official, a national security letter seems like the greatest thing you could have in your arsenal. One reason is that the people that you deliver these to are effectively silenced about 
what you're doing. Yeah, national security letters are troubling on First Amendment grounds, uh, actually on a number of levels. The most obvious, and, and appellate courts have already agreed with this, in a recent case called Doe v. Mukasey, a federal appellate court found that the First Amendment was not compatible with the gag orders that automatically attach to national security letters, forbidding uh, the people who receive them from ever disclosing even the existence of the national security letter, letter to anyone except maybe an attorney or someone inside the company who's assistance is needed to comply with it. Um, and so that's hugely problematic because the standard of review for these things is incredibly deferential. In the unlikely event that your ISP or your phone company or your bank decides they want to challenge this, uh, the standard previously was that as long as a high-ranking Justice Department official said, no, it's necessary for national security, judges were required to treat that as basically dispositive, as settling the issue. And the court says, no, they have to be able to uh, to consider the evidence and uh, and reverse the order if they conclude it's not a real national security harm. And, and indeed, most of the time when these orders are challenged, the FBI just backs off, which suggests that maybe these aren't as vital to national security as we're often told. Um, but the truth is, with the FBI breathing down your neck, your ISP, your phone company, really doesn't have a lot of incentive to stand up for your right to speak and to read anonymously. That's the other way that these are troubling from a First Amendment perspective, because these telecommunication records can increasingly reveal uh, political association, political speech. If you are writing anonymously on uh, an internet blog or bulletin board, uh, these kinds of records can reveal who it is that was uh, writing something inflammatory or unpopular or controversial. If you're a member of a political email list, if you're a member of an online uh, religious or political group, this is all the kind of activity that can be revealed through these records. Uh, if you're having a kind of informal association of people who are like-minded and, and sharing some unpopular political view, the structure of that group can be revealed. And these are all issues where, in other contexts, courts have said that the you know above and beyond, obviously, the violation of privacy, that there is a First Amendment interest in not having the government pry into your reading habits or your patterns of association. How long do they hold on to this data? Now, you'll never find out if they've gotten your records with a national security letter, but if they do, even after they've decided you're innocent, which, of course, most of those 14,000 Americans must be. There aren't 14,000 terrorists in the country, or we'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, but those records are stored indefinitely for at least 30 years uh, in a massive and growing FBI database. That database now has about 13,000 authorized users, maybe more. That was at last count. I mean, you think about WikiLeaks. I don't care how classified the database is. Uh, that many people have access. There's a potential for anyone who wants to use that information uh, to, to make sure it gets to the place where it can be used. Um, Sometimes it can be useful because it's evidence of criminal activity that uh, can be passed on to the Justice Department prosecutors uh, who maybe wouldn't have been able to get it without the threat of national security to circumvent the need for subpoenas and, and court orders. Um, or maybe someone in five or ten years will discover a new use for it, will discover a way to mine that data, either to look for people who are uh, engaged in tax evasion, look for people who have financial or transactional patterns that are uh, typical of people who use drugs, maybe transactional patterns or patterns of association typical of people who are associated with uh, whatever political group uh, they decide that week is dangerous or scary. Um, we don't know, but the information is there waiting for someone to decide how to use it. And when you've got that much data, it's only a matter of time before someone says, shouldn't we be using it for something? 
Julian Sanchez is a research fellow at the Cato Institute and author of the new report, Leashing the Surveillance State, How to Reform Patriot Act Surveillance Authorities. You can download it at Cato.org.